From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and making Washington Watch part of your day. Well, coming up, President Biden was in New York this morning speaking at the United Nations General Assembly. He gave a wide-ranging address, which, of course, included a few climate scare lines. For one day, for one day, my administration, the United States, has treated this crisis as an existential threat from the moment we took office, not only for us, but for all of humanity. Uh, we wish it was just one day. It was from day one. Well, speaking of scare, the Senate scare leader, Chuck Schumer, claims conservative Republicans trying to rein in the nation's mushrooming deficit spending are actually threatening the country. The House package is slapdash, reckless, and cruel, and everyone knows it has no chance of passing the Senate. The more time House Republicans waste trying to pass this MAGA wish list while ignoring chances for real bipartisanship, the greater the odds they will push us into a costly government shutdown. You know, isn't it time for some measure of fiscal responsibility? The truth is there's a debate going on within the Republican conference and among Republicans in Washington that is the actual debate the American people want us to have to try to reach consensus for solutions that will actually address the problems that are affecting their lives. Our Democrat colleagues refuse to do that. That was Texas Congressman Chip Roy, who has been working on a possible way forward in the House. We'll talk with Florida Congressman Matt Gates in just a moment. Now, here's something that uh, former President Donald Trump announced this past weekend at the Pray Vote Stand Summit that the legacy media did not pick up on. To reverse these cruel travesties of justice tonight, I'm announcing that the moment I win the election, I will appoint a special task force to rapidly review the cases of every political prisoner who's been unjustly persecuted by the Biden administration. Could this be a way to disarm a government that the left has weaponized? Now, Republicans in the House are also working to disarm the Biden DOJ by repealing the Clinton-era FACE Act that the Biden Justice Department has used to arrest dozens of pro-life activists. We're going to talk about it. Now, here's a question for you. Do manners matter? Does decorum and dress still have a place in the 21st century? Some say no. The right have been, like, losing their mind, you know. They're just like, oh, my God, you know, dogs and cats are living together. And, you know, like I said, aren't there more important things we should be talking about rather than if, if I dress like a slob? Uh, <laughs> that was Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman on MSNBC yesterday talking about the new no rules for dress in the U.S. Senate. Is this a part of a larger trend? Now, a recent report from College uh, King's College in London revealed that adults in the U.S. have become the least likely of the 24 countries surveyed to say manners matter. I'm going to talk with Jill Gardner with Manners of the Heart a little bit later. And more fallout over former President Trump's comments about Florida's heartbeat bill going too far. We're going to discuss this with FRC's Meg Kilgannon and with FRC's Travis Weber a little later. Our word for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul tells us how to keep from getting discouraged, even in the midst of great difficulty. Therefore, we do not lose heart, he wrote, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. See, the key here is an eternal perspective. The physical man might be getting worn down, but the spiritual man's being built up. Our affliction is but for a moment, but the glory of eternity is without end. These things we see, we don't focus on because they're temporary. Focus rather on that which is eternal. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org Bible. Negotiations appear to have stalled in the House as Republicans seek a budget agreement with just 12 days remaining before government funding expires. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy is walking a delicate tightrope among various blocks in the House, with many conservative members objecting to any spending extension that continues funding the Biden administration's policies and priorities. As discussed on Washington Watch yesterday with Congressman Bob Good, the deal between the members of the Freedom Caucus and the Main Street Caucus didn't get off the ground. Is there a way forward? Joining me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Matt Gates. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Great to see you. Good to see you too, Tony. All right, you have been an outspoken no vote on the continuing resolution. Is there a way forward from your perspective right now? Well, there's always a way forward, but it won't be business as usual. In January, I set out to end the era of voting on omnibus spending bills and continuing resolutions because I believe it is fundamentally unserious for the United States of America to have its lawmakers cast one vote on all of the funding for these disparate agencies from the Department of Labor to the Department of Education to the EPA. These agencies should have to stand up and defend their budgets. And those budgets should be open to amendments for, from Republicans and Democrats to reduce spending. We are entering an era where we are about to have $2 trillion annual budget deficits atop a $33 trillion debt. It is totally unsustainable. Now, I'm glad this continuing resolution failed because we've got to get away from that paradigm and we've got to embrace the path forward of single subject spending bills. Kevin McCarthy promised this to us when he became speaker and he has failed to deliver, which is why we're in the position we're in now. Uh, Congressman, you talk about the appropriations bill. Let's go back to the raising of the debt ceiling. Wasn't that a part of the conversation? Was that yeah, we're going to get to the cuts, but it's going to get in, it's going to be in the appropriations bills? Now we're already seeing the Senate combining these appropriations. They haven't passed them on the Senate floor yet, so we're right back where we were before. Yeah, you you've smelled the rat because when they did the debt limit, they said, "Oh well, this is just a maximum." You see, we can appropriate to a level below that. And then sure enough, Washington finds a way to spend every waking dollar that we can possibly get our grimy little hands on. And if that's going to be the case, then members ought to have to defend their votes for each of the 12 separate appropriations bills, not just say, oh, well, sure, I voted to keep funding all of the woke and weaponized things at the Department of Education, but that's just because I really support our troops and our veterans. You see, the way Washington has worked since I think 1997, has been to construct this system where individual members of Congress can avoid accountability for the votes that they cast on spending. 
I believe we can change Washington, but we have to dispense with this notion that we're going to do any kind of continuing resolution, and we need to start individually moving these bills forward, whether they pass or fail. If Republicans do not have a reduction in spending in this CR and they just advance the current CR, are they not then taking responsibility for the Biden policies and the Biden budget? Yeah, a a continuing resolution that continues these high levels of funding functions as a permission slip for Jack Smith's election interference. And they own it. Oh, yeah, they do. And and there were some moderate Republicans who told me today that if we don't agree to a continuing resolution on their terms, they'll simply sign what's called a discharge petition where they take control of the floor alongside the Democrats and move just a total continuation of the Biden era spending. And I told them if they do that, I could not stop them, just like I couldn't stop someone from signing their own death warrant and handing it to their executioner, because it'll be the very Democrats that moderate Republicans work with who will then hunt those moderate Republicans in the upcoming midterm elections. You don't want to make coalition with them. I I would tell you what I would do if I were going to run for Congress. I would run to the right of these members in some of these districts and I would say you voted for the Biden Pelosi Schumer budget. And, And if they vote to continue it, even for a month, even for a month without some form of reduction, they own it. Tony, you had me at hello. We'll show you the districts and I'll be uh, I'll be your first volunteer to knock on doors if you're interested. But but I think it is important for us to go through this process of showcasing to the American people what coalition truly governs them. And if the coalition that truly governs them it's, it is a, a group of weak Republicans and the Democrats, then then let's codify that and let's have God-fearing conservatives work against that coalition, laying out a vision so that in elections, people can make a choice for something different than they've gotten out of leadership in both parties for the last several decades. Well, Matt, I will say that we're, we're better off than we were 15 years ago uh, in terms of the makeup of Congress. We have more conservatives like you that are there that are willing to fight. So things are getting better. They're not there yet. So let's talk about, all right, given what we've just talked about, what is the way forward? What has to happen? I, I don't think there's time to get all of the 13 appropriations bills through in the next 12 days. I think it can be done uh, within a month. So what needs to happen to buy the time to get those appropriations bills through? Well, we have to, before we come up with the remedy, I think we have to have the diagnosis. Why is it? that during eight months of Republican control of the Congress, we, we have gotten off schedule in producing spending bills. We can't blame Joe Biden for that. We can't blame the Democrats for that or Chuck Schumer. That was something that was totally within our control, we failed at. So there has to be a reckoning there. True. And we may have to change out personnel in order to run those plays so more you successfully saying, in are, the future. Are you saying this could be, this could be the trigger on a, uh, a, a motion to vacate the chair? Undeniably, it could, because Kevin McCarthy's promises on spending were very central to the agreement we've made we've made with him. And not only has he violated those promises in the debt deal and in not producing these bills on time, but he's violated other substantive features of that deal, notably a vote on congressional term limits, a vote on a balanced budget amendment, full release of the January 6th tapes. Those things haven't happened. They were they were promised. And uh 
ultimately, if you're going to allow people to break their deals, then nothing's ever going to change around here. The lobbyists and the special interests and their vassal states who wear congressional pins will still be in charge and the needs of the people will be subjugated. Well, so mean, what the, do we the, need to do to buy time? We're out of time. We're, we're, we're looking at $2 trillion annual deficits. So we right. will face a shutdown. It will be difficult. Leaders will have to own that shutdown who failed to do their job. And then I think the only way to do this is to roll up our sleeves and plow through it. That means if we got to work 12-hour days, if we got to stay on the week on the weekends. I mean, Tony, we just came back from a six, seven-week period where we were out of Washington entirely. Why right. weren't we here uh, doing doing the the hard work that's I, necessary I, I, I to balance not, budgets? Do not disagree. Uh, I, I think that these bad habits are hard to break, and it, you may very well be right. It may take a government shutdown and having to work through that shutdown to get Congress back working the way it should. Um, you know, yeah. reform often requires a little pain, and uh, it, this may be it. Uh, Congressman, we're out, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, always great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. All right, Congressman Matt Gates of Florida. Uh, you know, he's, he's right in that we this pattern. I've watched it. We've talked about it and we got to see our, and, and the, the normal response would be to get a CR up until December, uh, 31st. And so right before Christmas, they cram what he talked about, an omnibus packing all of these appropriation bills into one bad policy bad spending and force members to vote on this thing going for Christmas. And you are left with the tab. Folks, this may be what's required. I'm not cheering for it or calling for it, but it may be required. All right, we're going to be joined by Chris Gasick on the other side of the break. Talk about a proposal that Donald Trump made at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. That's next. Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? 
Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest from the trees. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Earlier today, Congressman Chip Roy introduced legislation to repeal the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, or FACE Act. Now, this legislation, which dates back to uh, Bill Clinton, this uh, has been used by the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice to ramp up their targeting of pro-life activists for arrest and prison time since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. In fact, we've had over two dozen pro-lifers have been arrested using the FACE Act. Now, Republicans in Congress are bringing in Attorney General Garland to testify before the House Judiciary Committee tomorrow. And uh, former President Donald Trump uh, told attendees at the Prevote Stand Summit last Friday that if elected, pardoning pro-life activists and other political prisoners would be a priority his first day in office as president. Joining me now to discuss this is Chris Gasick, Senior Fellow for Regulatory Affairs at the Family Research Council. Chris, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be here. All right, let's start with uh, the FACE Act. Uh, this, you know, was used a few times, but not much. It was a big club that Bill Clinton gave to the uh, pro-abortion community back in the 90s. But it has been used uh, with, uh, yeah, great enthusiasm by the Biden DOJ to round up pro-lifers and put them in jail. You know, I, I was just going back and looking over the, the language of the of the FACE Act and also recollecting a conversation I had with somebody uh, at the at the Prevost Stand Summit uh, who was a you know, who participated in uh, Operation Rescue, um, uh, pro, you know, protests or um, and and the FACE Act was was used to to, to shut down uh, that that form of protest. But one of the things it's it's very broad, right? In other words, there were there were also threats, you know, maybe threats of violence and and you know a, you know attacks with acid on church, vandalism, things like that. But those sorts of attacks, I think that the statute has never been challenged for the sorts of things that bas which basically amount to like minor trespassing, where people are sort of sitting. You know, in a location like the the civil rights protesters were at you know Woolworth lunch counters, right? right. I mean, we would, would it have been great if they had been able to have been put in prison by the state of Alabama for you know 15 years or something? I mean, and I think that's what sort of is going on. This sort of 
abuse of this, this statute it, for really minor, almost misdemeanor offenses, right? right? It, it, and it really, it wasn't used very much for almost 20 years. And of course, the, after the overturn of Roe, they've, they've all of a sudden decided they're going to go after pro-lifers. So Congress uh, introducing a measure to repeal that. Uh, in, any idea what the prospects are of its repeal? Well, let me just say, I mean, a process like this is is a long one, right? And what I mean by that is, um, thank goodness Chip Roy did this because this is the first time we've had a conversation on this. And now we can go back and start to look at, you know, what was really going on in, you know, 1994 and what's the, what was the statute? Was the statute too broad? And I think it was just, it was far too broad. And um, and then you can start to, to you know, marshal your support, uh, you know, for these positions. And because, I mean, like, if you're talking about, like, you know, firebombing or, you know, shooting people, all of those things are felonies under state laws anyway. This has right? been used for, for people just defending themselves, pushing. There was a pushing and a shoving match in one case uh, where the, the pro-lifer was then arrested and, and jailed. Of course, it was eventually thrown out, but that's very costly. Right. So, it, But this, of course, I have no doubt it'll pass the House, won't go anywhere in the Senate, even if it were. President Biden's not going to sign it. So this is something that's right. going to have to wait for a Republican administration, which leads me to my next point. At the Pray Vote Stand Summit uh, this past Friday night, when former President Donald Trump uh, spoke, he announced uh, that the moment he wins the election, he will appoint a special task force to rapidly review the cases of every, every political prisoner who has been unjustly persecuted by the Biden administration, end quote. What's that look like? Well, I th in the context that we were just speaking about, I think it is going to refer to these uh, these FACE Act um, prisoners. Uh, and I think there it's one of the things that's going on here is, is you know, even if somebody was guilty of a misdemeanor and, and they deserve to be, uh, you know, convicted of some minor local misdemeanor, you know, and put in jail for a day or something or two days. I mean, 15 years when you're in, involved in a situation like that, the whole the whole structure of things is so unjust. And it just made me listening to the to, to president, uh, former President Trump, is I realized, you know, how, how fantastically brilliant the founders were, because you can have parts of the government and prosecutors who are completely out of control. But the, this, this presidential pardon, um, the power to do that is a real check and balance on it that I don't think we've ever seen in the United States before. And, and it may be that we're going to have to start using this in widespread manner, not just, you know, with regard to all these sorts of um, really aggressive uh, out of bounds prosecutions that we're seeing, whether it's on you know uh, uh, pro life issues, the Face Act, or some of the, the January six people, or uh, other kinds of uh, you know political um, you know crimes that the Biden administration is finding in, in various areas, you know gun dealers and people like this who are being rolled up with ridiculous regulatory crimes, uh, farmers and you know these kinds of things. So um, I, I think that it's time you know for. Uh, for our side to really start thinking about this so could this be like a, this, a, weapon. this special task force could this be a standing task force to go through and review these types of uh, of cases where we have political prisoners in our own country well i think so and, and you know it, it, it sounds completely crazy but if you start if you, let's say we're, we're dealing with uh, with canada right which has become basically an authoritarian police state you know, and they're putting all these these truckers and people like this and, you know, well, but, but you said you, let me, we're almost out of time, Chris, but you mentioned January yeah. 6th. We still have hundreds of people in prison, in jail from January the 6th that they've not had their trials. 
Right. Yeah, they're 500. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds, right? And, and exactly. This is uh, long overdue. And I, and I think this is something that uh, conservatives are going to be looking at because there's no question, no question. And I'm a law and order guy, all right? I'm not for right. the civil, civil disobedience as a former police officer. But the law must be applied evenly and justly. And there's no question in my mind that's not happening under the Biden administration. Chris Gasick, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. You're welcome. <sighs> you know, justice matters, uh, the rule of law. But you know, it actually goes back even more fundamentally to laying the foundation with, with manners, civility. We're losing that. In fact, uh, we're gonna talk about that on the other side of the break where they've now adopted a new no rules dress code for the U.S. Senate to accommodate John Fetterman from Pennsylvania who likes to run around in gym shorts. And, and, and a new survey, or actually a report, released say that good manners, they don't matter to Americans. We're gonna talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go away. All of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. In Pakistan, Asif Purvez is on death row for allegedly sending a blasphemous text message. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted, and they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free. So I'm going to give you a heads up. I've got a poll question for you. So simply text the word poll to 67742. That's the word poll to 67742. I'll tell you what it is in just a moment. Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer recently de de uh, decreed that the U.S. Senate will no longer enforce its unwritten dress code requiring business attire. While this paves the way for Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman to uh, basically slouch into the chamber in gym shorts and a hoodie. 
Many suggest it represents yet another coarsening of our society. That this comes even as a report from King's College in London reveals that U.S. adults are least likely of nearly two dozen countries surveyed to say good manners matter. Joining me now to discuss this is Jill Garner. She is an accomplished speaker, education expert, author, and founder of Manners of the Heart, an organization confronting incivility in our society. Jill, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hello, Tony. Glad to be here. So let's talk about, uh, first, let's address this issue about dress. Does dress and decorum actually matter? Is it is it important? Uh, I believe that it is. Of course I do. Uh, it does matter uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, the way we choose to dress shows our uh, respect for others or our lack of respect for others. It shows um, our lack of respect for the place um, for the position, uh, whether we're talking about the floor of the Senate or whether we're talking about uh, going to our house of worship, whether we're talking about um, going to a school, any, any place of business. Um, it shows uh, really what the, our level of respect and, like I said, our, our level or lack of it. Right. Either way. I mean, I remember as a kid when we would even go out, you know, I'm 60 years old. I can remember as a kid dressing in a in a suit and a tie when we would go out. I mean, you would see people, and we look back, pictures, family pictures, going to the state fair in, in suits. I mean, <laughs> yes. we, we've seen a very, this, and I'm not, I'm, look, I'm all for jeans at the appropriate sure, time, shorts, you know, especially in South Louisiana where it's really right, hot. Right, But there's a time and a place. There is a time and a place. And like I said, so often, uh, you know, you know me well, and so often I always say this is it's a heart issue. This is a heart issue. It's an attitude of the heart, right? And that's the attitude of respect. Right. And uh, as I said, it's showing um, a lack of respect for others and for the position uh, when we refuse to bend a bit and hold a higher standard. You know, it, it's selfish, it's, isn't it? It's totally selfish. And when we refuse to raise the standard, right. how can we ever ask kids to raise their pants? Right. <laughs> how can we, exactly. Right? right? How can we ever expect more of our children and expect a level of excellence when we are settling for something so much less? Well, and this ties into the other topic, you know, and I thought about you and I read this, this article uh, from King's College in London that reported on manners worldwide, mm -hmm. that the United States actually ranks at the very bottom of the 24 mm -hmm. countries surveyed in saying that manners actually matter. That's right at the heart of your ministry. It's completely at the heart. And something that we've really lost is that manners truly are the foundation of morals right? If we are teaching children how to respect others, if we are teaching others um, to put the needs of others ahead of themselves, um, then what we really are instilling in children is the foundation upon which they can build their moral decisions. Right. And when we let go of all of this, all the way from the cur common courtesies to the yes, sir, and the no, sir, right. um, when we let go of all of these, what many people consider little things as evidenced by the, um, by the survey, the report, when we let go of that, why would we expect to have a higher standard of morals? And right. all of the, as we lower these standards, um, all of the statistics are going in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, well, there's one, proof. One of the things that really fascinated me here was that uh, U.S. adults were at the bottom when it came to whether or not they thought it was important that children in the home actually were obedient. I mean, so we're basically raising lawless kids in the home so that they can go on the street and be right. lawless, which is exactly what we see. So, right. folks, I want you to take the poll, uh, text poll to 67742. Do, ma do manners matter?
Do, do manners matter? Does decorum and dress still have a place in the 21st century? So, so Jill, very quickly, before we run out of time, this is an important issue. It's not being taught in society, not really in our schools. It really comes to parents to, to teach manners. Mm-hmm. Tell folks how they can find out more about this through your ministry. Yes, it does. Uh, they can visit mannersoftheheart.org. Um, to find out more information about um, all the different things that we offer from parenting books to training. We have a lot of resources available on the website. They can also visit jillgarnercontent.org, which is another place that has a a particularly abundance of uh, parent resources. Because it's true, parents are the first responders when it comes to this. This is very much William Wilberforce. Yes. Uh, yes, you know, it was a, a revitalization of manners yes. that really turned the English society around. Yes, yes, and manners, as I say, defined as an attitude of the heart that's right. self-giving, not self-serving. There's etiquette, that's rules of etiquette, right. but manners is something much larger. It's the attitude behind the action. We can't have civility without it. No, we cannot. And uh, aren't we proving that every day. We, we are. We're proving it. We're living in it. And, and so it. we, but we're not, we're not pursuing the answers. No, no, we're not. We have the answer. It's we very have simple. the answer. It is very simple. Uh, the, fur, the more we try to complicate uh, finding answers to the problems that we have, the only further we complicate the problems, yeah. right? Yeah, we compound it. We compound it on when the answer is so simple. It comes back down to truly to the content of the heart, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, right. whether it's full of respect or not. Jill, once again, that website? Uh, yes, mannersoftheheart.org. All right, folks, visit it. If you didn't get that, go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got a link up there. Great stuff. Highly recommend it. And you know what? They're not doing it in society, but we can do it in the home, and our children can be ambassadors for civility. Jill, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Folks, stick with us because on the other side of the break, we're going to once again visit the comments that President Trump made over the weekend about protecting the unborn. Don't go away. The world is hurting. Streets are filled with crime. Families are broken. Sin is celebrated. And God is mocked. Everywhere we look, the wages of our sin are on full display. As Christians, we know that surrender to God's will is the solution to our biggest problems, but not everyone agrees. Even in church, we hear people say the most important thing is to be tolerant, that we shouldn't impose a morality on other people, and that loving our neighbor means celebrating what they do. But you can't do that. It's not that you don't love your neighbor. You do. But you care about God's opinion more than your neighbor's opinion, and this makes you different. In fact, sometimes it makes you feel alone, like you are the only one. But there is good news. You are not alone, not even close. Research has found that there are 59 million American adults who are a lot like you. There are millions of people around the country who are born again, deeply committed to practicing their faith, and believe the Bible is the reliable Word of God. But that's not all. They're also engaged in our government. They're voters. They're more likely to be involved in their community, and they're making a difference in elections. The problem is that a lot of them feel alone, too. We want to change that. FRC wants to connect these 59 million Americans to speak the truth together, no matter the cost. If you want to learn more about this group and what it means to be a spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative, or if you want to find out if you are one of these sage cons yourself, 
go to frc.org sagecon and take the quiz to find out. The world is hurting and we have the solution. We can't do it alone, but we can do it if we work together. That's what we're working toward every day. Join us. Go to frc.org slash S-A-G-E-C-O-N, SageCon, to learn more. That's S-A-G-E-C-O-N, SageCon, to learn more. I'm often asked by people, Tony, how do you stay encouraged? How do you deal with all of the stuff in Washington, D.C., the negative policies that are attacking our faith, our family, and our freedoms? Well, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's called the Word of God. And that is why the Family Research Council embarked on Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan with just 10 to 15 minutes a day. In two years, you will have covered the entire Bible. And to go along with this, Monday through Friday, I do a morning devotional that goes along with the reading of the day. It's all designed to encourage you on this journey because the Word of God, as the psalmist said, in my affliction, here's my comfort, your Word gives me life. That is our source of strength. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. And I invite you to join me every morning for our Stand on the Word Bible Devotion. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman Matt Rosendale. I think that the ability to get the uh, message out uh, to a larger audience is critically important. And uh, 40 years that the uh, uh, Family Research Council has been doing that, it not only uh, gives hope to the members of Congress and Senate that are up here serving so that they know that they have that strong ally. We need your support. We need your voice out there. And uh, the families across the country need it. And thank you again for everything that you do. Another great member of Congress, Matt Rosendale from Montana. And uh, it's just, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier uh, with uh, Congressman Gates, more and more conservatives and many Christians, Bible-believing Christians being called to our nation's capital. So it, it, that's one of the things that encourages me, all right? Uh, let me give this out again. Uh, take our poll question. Text the word poll to 67742. I'd like to know what you think. I, wa I wonder if you're among the majority of Americans who say that uh, manners don't matter that it doesn't matter that your kids are good. I would hope that our listening audience sees that a little bit differently. Uh, text the word poll to 67742. I personally think manners matter a great deal. And I think we should be teaching them to our children even though society may frown upon them. You know, I teach my boys to, uh, to hold doors for women, let women go first. I say, well, that's chauvinistic. I don't care, call me whatever you want. I think that's the way gentlemen are. And we need to be raising our young men to be gentlemen. And again, civility comes from manners. And we're seeing this breakdown. And I, I, I think it's significant, uh, this change in dress in the, the, the Senate. I remember back in the ninth grade, I went to a, I actually worked to pay for my tuition to go to a Christian school for one year. And the, uh, they had a dress code. And the, the reason they had a dress code was because you acted they said, you know, if you have a tie on, you act differently. And there's a lot of truth in that. And so I think when you, uh, call me old fashioned, but I think dress matters. And I think there are certain places that we should still preserve that decorum. 
Okay, with the uh, the first presidential campaign since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, well underway, Republican candidates are, you know, they're trying to find their way forward. I was talking to a reporter today that called me and was asking me about this. You know, this part of the the book had not has not been written. You know, most were surprised that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so after nearly 50 years of, of working to advance life, successfully, I might add, th there was no next chapter on what to do post-Roe. And so it's taking a little bit of time to chart the way forward. And, and some are doing better than others. And, and I will say that I'm disappointed with uh, former President Trump, who was, was a great pro-life president. But post-Roe, he, like some others, are having a difficult time finding their way forward. I've had conversations with him. I'm trying to help him and the other candidates that I've talked to, that there remains a federal role on the life issue. I'm going to play this clip um, again. I played it yesterday. This is from Meet the Press, uh, clip number 11. Yeah. Would you sign that? Uh, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. All right, he's talking about a pain bill, a 15-week pain bill. That It's a bill that would uh, prohibit abortion nationwide once a baby feels pain, once it's in the, womb's, in the mother's womb sucking its thumb. And, and then he goes on to talk about the heartbeat bill that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed, which I support. I, I, I support protecting life from the moment of conception on, but we have to come to a place of consensus. There is consensus right now over pain. When a child feels pain, about 70% of Americans say, you know, at that point, for the whole country, we should draw the line. States can go further, but they can't do anything less than that. And, and just one thing I want to address here where he says, uh, you know, we'll sit down and negotiate something. I, I, I appreciate the president, the former president, and his view of, of negotiations. But, look, you're not going to sit down and negotiate with Planned Parenthood. All right? It's not going to happen. What can happen is the American people, through the legislative process, will reach consensus. That's what the court ruling did by putting this back into the hands of elected officials, both at the state level and the federal level. And again, that consensus is building at the federal level at uh, the point of pain. In the states, many states, all the way to conception, Oklahoma, uh, Heartbeat, Ohio, Florida, uh, several other states, almost 20. All right, joining me now to, uh, to talk about this, Meg Kilgannon, uh, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council and also been doing a lot of work on the life issue. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, it's great to be here. So there's a clear contrast on this issue among the parties. We, we continue to see Democrats refusing to draw any line simply denying that they're for abortion up to birth or after birth, even though they're on record saying as such, but they won't draw the line anywhere. Is the president and other Republicans muddying the waters on something that's been quite clear? Well, I think that the, you know, the whole country is, is, um, is unsure what the path forward is. Even people like you and me who are completely pro-life from conception to a natural death, 
right? We don't know what this is going to look like as it plays out politically. And um, I, I, I keep hearing this clip and and seeing it played, and and um, and and I, I, you know, NBC is an outlet that's happy when I'm sad and sad when I'm happy, and the media is constantly picking a fight between Republicans and the people who vote for Republicans, or pro-lifers and the people who vote for pro-lifers. And they're constantly shoring up people on the left and the Democratic Party. And so with all of this conversation, I mean, I'm putting this into the whole context of the constant, constant nagging snap sniping that they do with candidates on this issue, trying to sow dissent among people who are basically united as being pro-life. And when you look at the record of the president on life, he has a fantastic record on life and religious freedom at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. It took him quite a bit of time to list out all the things that he had done and all the things that Family but, Research but, Council had worked with him on right. but, for but, our Meg, folks. I, and I, so, I'm going to stop you right there for just a moment because I, I, I understand I don't believe the legacy media. But I do believe the I mean, I've talked to the president on this and there is this misconception that this now is primarily a state issue. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, who has been. Uh, well, I do know who has been pushing this thing forward, but that's a part of his thinking here, I think, is that, well, all right, we got rogue on. Now it belongs to the states because we've talked to him about that. But there remains a federal role here. Sure. And, and I, I don't think we want to have no restrictions at the federal level. And I'm not suggesting you're saying that, but I'm just saying yeah. we're trying to find a place where there's consensus. So there's a minimum at the federal level. States can go further. And, and, and I think there's a couple of Republicans that get that. But, you know, even Ron DeSantis does not agree with a federal role. And, and so I think we've got to bring these candidates along because they haven't thought through this post Roe. I, I think that's right. And it's and whatever any of the candidates say, whether there's a Republican in the White House or a Democrat in the White House, it doesn't change the work that Family Research Council does to advocate for the unborn in this country. Right. And around the world, for that matter. Right. We, our, our job is the same. <laughs> we hold everyone accountable because there have been Republican presidents who said perfect things about pro-life. People in the but Congress and the House of that. Representatives right now, and they don't do anything, right? right? But Donald Trump so, did do stuff. So I, I agree with you, but we're in a different world post-Roe that we've got to do a lot of education on. It was a, it was a part of our discussion at this summit this past weekend. In fact, I did a, I, I moderated a panel. I had Congressman Chris Smith, the one's going to question his pro-life credentials. And I want to play a clip and get you to respond to that. Play clip number 14. The Dobbs decision could not have been clearer, uh, both Alito and Kavanaugh's uh, concurring opinion, uh, that all lawmakers, not just state lawmakers, all lawmakers have a critical role to play uh, with regards to abortion. We write laws, we can regulate it, we can proscribe it, prohibit it, uh, but we need to do it uh, and we need to step up. Both state and federal have a role post-Roe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so do people who make arguments in the culture as we advocate politically, but we're also trying to shape the culture and we're still trying to make abortion unthinkable, unnecessary and unthinkable. Right. And, and that that will continue. There's absolutely a role for it's all hands on deck to protect life. Right. 
And we, we want strong protections for life in this country. And we, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that for 50 years, men and women have ordered their lives around the backstop of abortion, right? And it is going to take a while for this country to readjust. And we're, we're gonna have to help people to understand what what is in the womb it's a baby it's a right. human life right it is the greatest blessing of all time parenthood is a joy right Those so while, while the landscape while this landscape has changed a bit post row the the tactics really haven't because you're mm -hmm. what you're describing is and, and that's what i've been saying we just need to go back to what we've been doing for 50 years we just need to keep making incremental gains we need to be talking about the humanity of the unborn using technology to our benefit so, I mean, it, it really, in, in some ways, it hasn't changed other than we have greater ability to affect the change because now it's in legislative bodies. Right. And we have opponents who seem unwilling to change, right? They are clinging to that Roe versus Wade construct of abortion on demand up until birth, right? <laughs> and that is no longer... The state of but they're play, lying about God, they're lying about their position. They're lying about their position. They, they they when when you when when uh, the vice president was pressed on this, where would she draw the line? We just want Roe. Well, mm -hmm. most Americans don't know what Roe is. Roe is unfettered abortion, and right. they want it right. at taxpayer fund funded. They want you and I to fund abortion with no limits all the way up till birth. They won't admit that, but that's what they want. Right. And, and this is where ed educating people and talking about this issue is so important, whether it's us doing it in the political realm, having a conference like the Pray Vote Stand Summit, where we come together and speak to a larger audience, or people in churches talking about this with your fellow church members, talking about this with your neighbors. It's a topic that's difficult to bring up, but it's a very, very personal and human topic. And there there's a lot of of ministering that people can do to those in their community, um, right. just just lending a sympathetic ear and, and and discussing this topic, I think, goes a long uh, way to building that culture of life that we that we need to have. Our work is far from over. It just means we have greater access to affect the change as we build the consensus as hearts and minds are changed. Meg Kilgannon. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to see you. I hope my manners were appropriate. Good to see you. Your manners were great. Were you were okay. great? I that, I loved that segment before. It's so important. All so right, important. Meg. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you. And it's, you can still take the poll. Text poll to six seven seven four two. All right. Very quickly, I want to bring in uh, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council, to kind of get an, uh, an update on where states are on this issue. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be hey, with we, you. We just got a couple minutes, but I, I want to kind of get an update on where states are, because this is both, as we were talking, a federal and state role. So where are we at the state level? How many states yeah. have stepped forward to provide very strong protections for the unborn? Yeah, I mean, Tony, we have 23 states right now that have heartbeat or better protections, and most of those are protections at the moment of conception. Um, five states around that have heartbeat. Some of those are being challenged in courts, but this means that legislatures, the, the elected leaders, the, the governors, uh, in some cases might have had veto override, but the, the people of those states have stepped forward to put forth their view on life. And that 23 states with heartbeat, 
the, the moment a heartbeat's detected or up to moment conception, the people have said this is when life should be protected. So that's very significant. Other states have other levels of protections, but Tony, a big section of the country um, is protecting life very aggressively right now in the states. And so a, a, a pain bill at the national level would not in any way affect those. Those bills would be in place. It just sets a, a, a minimum floor that a state can't do less in terms of protecting the unborn. But let's talk about, very quickly, we've got just about a minute and a half left, this talk that, that there's no federal role. I mean, yeah. just speak to it's, how the federal government actually is so, is intricately involved in abortion right now. Yeah, Tony, it's really silly, you know, that, that people would say that because for decades we've been seeing bills come through Congress, executive actions at the federal level taken to protect life. And many of these executive actions members of Congress have supported. They've sent letters to the administration under the Trump administration. I'm just looking at our data. We track at least 42 pro-life actions the president took. Many of these were strong regulations. One point he sent a letter to Congress threatening to veto any bill that weakens federal pro-life protections. He rallied behind the Geneva Consensus Declaration, uh, supporting uh, pro-life protections in other countries, borrowing money from going to um, abortions overseas. I mean, so many areas, the federal executive branch and, and Congress right. take an action to protect life. And folks can find that on frcaction.org slash Biden. They see the list of this is a history of federal action. And right. um, I think it's important to remind everyone that this has been a longstanding practice in our nation's right. capital. And, and the Democrats have made very clear what they would do if they could. They will annihilate every state limitation and force this abortion policy nationally. They have the bill to do it. Travis, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, folks, we are out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us and tune in again tomorrow. Until then, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.